Welcome to Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. Thanks for tuning in to our series, Resolve, based out of our study on the book of Daniel. For more information about this sermon and other resources, please visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. I'm not going to continue Pastor Caleb's teaching on the book of Daniel. I certainly couldn't do it justice. He does such an awesome job. Um, But I did want to pick up with a thought that he brought last week about um, God's interaction with King Nebuchadnezzar and God's relentless pursuit of Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And we serve a God who relentlessly pursues our hearts. And I'm so grateful that he does. And um, so what I want to talk with you about this morning is some a verse, really just one verse, in the book of Isaiah. And it's a very familiar verse, Isaiah 40, verse 31. And that verse, to put it in context, uh, the first, the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying to Judah and, and speaking to them about their idolatry, their hard hearts, that they have a form without the substance, that they're doing sacrifices, but their hearts are not in it. He calls them to repentance and they refuse to repent. So by the time you get to chapter 40 of the book, he's already spoken to them about the day when they will be taken captive by the Babylonians because of the hardness of their hearts. But he doesn't leave them there, and I'm so grateful that he didn't leave them there. So when you get into verse 40, Isaiah starts to prophesy about redemption. And the 40th chapter is the beginning of Isaiah's words of hope and encouragement to the children of Israel that although they would be taken captive, that God would still have his eye on them, he would still be working with them, and they would still see his redemption. So chapter 40 starts with Isaiah talking about the greatness of God. There's no other God like him. Who gives him counsel? Who else but God created the universe? And so Isaiah is reminding Israel that he is the awesome only God. And regardless of where they were, he would remain God. So when we pick this up, I'm going to go ahead and start in Isaiah 40 verse 27. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Because they were wondering if they weren't in Jerusalem and couldn't go to the temple, would they be hidden from God? Would God see them still? And the justice do me escape the notice of my God. Isaiah says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And Isaiah is giving them a promise and instruction 
about how to walk through that season of captivity and come out the other side of it in strength. So I want to look at the instruction that we find in verse 31. And I'm going to uh, start just going through the words that are in that verse, starting with the word gain. In verse 31, it says, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. And that word gain there, you know, in our minds, when I think of the word gain, I think of addition, that God's going to add to what I've got. So I might be weak, but bless God, I'm, I've got a little bit of strength and God's going to give me more. Well, that's not what the word gain there means. A better translation of the word gain would actually be an exchange where God takes my strength and I get his. So he's not adding to anything I've got. He wants to exchange what I've got for what he's got. And the word there actually means to change clothes. If you go ahead and put my little picture up, um, you know, it's, this is the picture and I know if I, I knew there would be some young people in here who might not know what a phone booth is. So I thought I better put a picture up there because you don't see these anymore. This used to be my generation's cell phone. See, we couldn't carry our phone around in our pocket. So when we left home and didn't have our landline, if we needed to make a phone call, we would go into the phone booth. So... Here is Superman. I don't know how many of you, I don't know what Superman goes into now to change his clothes. But back in our day, he used to go into the phone booth. And he would go in the phone booth as mild-mannered Clark Kent. Had on the, the, you know, the, the clothes of a journalist. But man, he came out of the phone booth as Superman. Changed his clothes. And see, that's what that word means. It's an exchange. That I encounter God one way and leave that encounter a whole nother way. And the, the passage of scripture here talks about that we'll mount up with wings like eagles. And the interesting thing about eagles, we have eagles out at Eagles Point, which is where I live. And we live on the lagoon out there. And almost daily, I have the opportunity of watching those eagles do their patterns of soaring and they get way up in the sky and to observe their prey and then whoosh, they come down and nab that fish right out of the water. It's awesome to watch. But every year, young eagles go through a process of molting. And the molting process is that they, their old feathers fall out, they pull some of them out, and the purpose is so they can grow new feathers because the new feathers give their wings power. And so they take off the old, old wineskin, and they put on the new feathers so they can continue to soar and mount up. And so when we talk about the idea of having an exchange with God, it is God taking what I've got, the old, the weak, the sick, he takes all my pain, all my struggle. He takes what I've got and he gives me what he's got. He gives me his strength. So as I was meditating on these verses, I was thinking about some of the biblical examples that we have in scripture where we watch the saints of God make that exchange with the Lord and we watch what happens and how it alters their life. 
So one of the first people in the Bible that I began to think about was the life of Moses. And Moses, in his early years, you all know the story of Moses. He was born during a time when the Hebrew baby boys were being thrown uh, and killed. And Moses' mother had the courage to nurse him and keep him alive to a certain age and then put him in a little basket. He floated down the river. Pharaoh's daughter found him. And then she hired Moses' mother to nurse him. So for the first several years of his life, he was formed by his original parents. And depending upon which commentator you read, they'll say anywhere from two to seven years, Moses remained in the home of his original parents, being formed by their culture, being formed by their mindset, being formed by the, and, and walking away from that with an understanding about Israel's redemptive purpose in the earth. And from there, Moses goes into Pharaoh's palace, and Moses was exposed to the best teachers, the best philosophers, the best generals. He was instructed by the best of the best on the face of the earth that day. And God used that season in Moses' life to help him understand strategy, to help him understand warfare, to help put things in him that he was going to need to be successful as a leader. But there came a point in Moses' life, and the book of Hebrews picks this understanding up, where Moses had, a, had an exchange with the Lord. And in Hebrews 11, it tells us that by faith, this is verse 24, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, so he was looking forward to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. And there was a Moses saw God, the unseen God. Moses had a glimpse of God. And it caused Moses to make a decision in his life where he was going to refuse to identify with Egypt. He refused to identify with the identity that was instilled in him and his experiences there. And instead, he chose to identify with God's purpose for his life and the children of Israel. And it says that Moses chose and he refused refusing to reject in the face of greater knowledge. That because I've seen something greater, I refuse the lesser knowledge. I refuse, the. this is the way I saw it, but after seeing God, this is now how I see it. And I reject that information, I reject that identity, I reject that image, and I choose to identify myself with the image of God, the identity of God, and the purpose of God. So Moses went through that experience and identified himself with the unseen God and the purpose that God had for him in the earth. So as we watch Moses throughout his life, the rest of his life, we watch him go into the wilderness. He has the burning bush experience with the Lord. As we watch him work with the children of Israel and the challenge of leading God's people. And Moses has several face-to-face encounters with the Lord uh, just a, 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 
the wonderful experiences with God and the challenging experiences with the children of Israel. But when we get to the end of Moses' life, he stumbles a little. And see, this is the area where that, that for me uh, sparked this whole thought process in my mind. Because I don't want to stumble. Amen. See, as I get older, I don't want to stumble. And so Moses is in Numbers 20. We won't turn there, but Moses, Miriam just died. And the children of Israel come once again to Moses, grumbling and complaining and wanting water. And have you brought us out here into the wilderness to die? And so Moses falls on his face and the Lord speaks to Moses. And he tells Moses that he's going to bring water out of the rock again. And he tells Moses to get up and go speak to the rock. And we all know the story that instead of speaking to the rock, Moses struck the rock. And the Lord said to Moses, because you have not believed me and have not uh, regarded me as holy, you'll not see the promised land. And so I ask the Lord, Lord, what was the challenge for Moses? You know, all his lifetime, he made those exchanges. He chose God. He chose the identity of God. He chose the ways of God. He chose the heart of God. And I, in, in the Lord just spoke this to my heart, that at the end of Moses' life, Moses understood the what of, of what God wanted done. He knew what God wanted to do. He wanted to bring water out of the rock. Where Moses missed it was in the how God wanted it done. And that, you know, back in the day when, when Moses came down out of the mountain and he had the Ten Commandments and he comes down and the children of Israel are having an idolatrous party, Moses in anger throws the Ten Commandments down and, and displays the heart of God in that expression. But why couldn't Moses display the heart of God in the anger of striking the rock, the frustration of striking the rock? It's because he, it wasn't the spirit of what God was doing in that time and in that moment. And so how easy it is for us, based on previous experience, to think we know how God wants something done. Based on previous experience, I lean into old knowledge. I lean into old mentalities and paradigms and hard attitudes But it's as important to God in what I am doing as how I am accomplishing it. And see, the Lord began to convict me that I must continually choose, like Moses, to have my heart enlarged. I must continually choose to not just know the what of God, but to know the how of God. That I cannot rest in my experience. I cannot rest in past what, what, how we did things in the past. I love the song we sang this morning about new wine. See, I want to be a new wineskin. My heart determines if I become a new wineskin or not. I don't want a hard, crusty heart. I don't want the frustration of life to harden my heart. So like Moses, when I understand the what of God, I don't execute it in the how of God. But I executed in my own wisdom, my own knowledge, my own understanding, my own emotion. And it's not pleasing to the Lord, even though I may be doing what he told me to do. The Lord spoke this to me. And and to be totally honest, I'll 
just to be as vulnerable as I can. I learned this from walking with the young people that the Lord has sent to us. You know, I feel very privileged. God, I think, sent us the cream of the crop um, in, the, in the work that I've done with these young people. And I didn't realize how cynical I had become until I started working with them. You know, they've got these pure hearts and they're just trusting and honoring and they have such servants' hearts. And I realized that a cynic is someone who, based on previous experience, writes the end of the story without factoring God in. That I look in on a person's life or I look in on a situation and in my mind I think, oh, I know how that's going to end. I know how that's going to go down. You know, based on, on years of experience, I can tell you where this is going. That's a cynic. That I look in on a situation and I do not give room for the activity of the Holy Spirit. So Moses, at the end of his life, struggled to continue to make the exchange that was necessary to not just know the, how, the what, but the how of what God wanted done. So then the Lord began to speak to me through the book of Ruth. And Ruth is just a small little book. Um, four chapters long, powerful story of redemption. And I won't go into all the details of the book, but Ruth is a, is a Moabite. And she hooks up with a Jewish family. She marries one of their sons. They left uh, Jerusalem because there was a famine. They came to Moab. And uh, so Ruth marries one of those Jewish boys. Not only does, does the, the father die, but the two boys die. And so there's Ruth left with her mother-in-law, Naomi, without a husband. Ruth doesn't have a husband. Naomi doesn't have a husband. And so I, I, I've always thought it's interesting in the five times in the book of Ruth, Naomi is called Ruth the Moabite. Not just called Ruth. She's called Ruth the Moabite. And, you know, I think, why would we keep referring to her nationality and I think the Lord wanted to make a point because the Moabites, I don't know if you all know the history of the Moabites, but if you remember when Sodom and Gomorrah rained down with fire and Lot runs out of the city with his, with his family and his wife turns around and looks back, turns into a pillar of salt, and Lot goes up into the mountains with his two daughters and his two daughters are up there freaking out because they don't think they're going to find husbands. And so they make a decision to get their father drunk. And they, they have an incestuous relationship with their father. And out of his incestuous relationship with the firstborn, Moab is the child that's born out of that relationship. The Moabites were the racial and religious enemies of Israel. So here is Ruth. She's born a Moabite. And she makes the decision in the middle of her grief and her uncertainty, to identify herself with the people of God. So Ruth goes through the, the exchange process of changing her identity from being an idolatrous Moabite to being a woman used of God to actually be, be part of the lineage that brings in Jesus Christ. And she makes this statement in Ruth 1, chapter 16, and she says, do not urge me. She's speaking to her mother-in-law here because her mother-in-law is trying to tell her to go back home. Don't come with me back to Jerusalem because you'll never find a husband. Nobody will marry a Moabite in Jerusalem, trust me, or in Bethlehem. 
So she tells her to go back, and Ruth says, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts me and you. And there she's doing the same thing Moses did. She's choosing an identity based on higher information, based on greater knowledge. She's choosing to identify with the purpose of Israel in the earth, and she is refusing to identify any longer with her natural birth. And as she, as she makes that choice, she didn't just change her geographical location. See, it's not enough to just move somewhere else. It's not enough to just change a geographical location. See, my dad tried that. My dad, I grew up in a home with alcoholic parents. My dad, got, dad's alcoholism grew up in Chicago, got so bad after a few snowmobile accidents and car accidents, he takes his business and moves to Florida, thinking a geographical location would solve their problems, but it didn't. He ended up getting worse. Geographical change is not the only solution, not that sometimes geographical location isn't the will of God, but I must do more than change my physical geographical location. See, Ruth didn't just change where she lived. She changed her heart. She identified in her heart with the people of God. And this is what it says about Ruth. Boaz is speaking to Ruth, and he says to her, All the people in the city know that you are a woman of virtue. See, I love that word virtue. That word virtue there means strength. It means substance, and it means wealth. That Ruth didn't just transition in her geographical location. She transitioned in her heart. So she became a woman of strength, substance, and wealth. And she used her strength to serve her mother-in-law by gleaning in the field instead of running after young men. And in her choice to serve her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law positioned her and gave her the strategy that connected Ruth to her legacy. Her legacy was to be part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. How important it is that I do not just change circumstances. In the midst of my circumstance, he wants to enlarge my heart, to enlarge my capacity to follow him and serve his purpose. Amen? Hallelujah. And I'll just can share this with you. My dad died 24 years sober. Amen? Amen. Amen. He did. He, he went and got help, and, and he passed on to us his sobriety Amen. and his victory over addiction. Amen. 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 Now, when we, when we look at some, there's so many, there were so many of these exchanges. They happened all throughout Scripture. You cannot encounter the living God Amen. unless your heart is hard and not be changed. So in Mark 10, we have the story of the rich young ruler, and we won't turn there. But y'all know the story that he comes up to Jesus and he says, how can I be guaranteed eternal life? And Jesus says back to him, well, you know the commandments. And he lists the few commandments and the rich young ruler says, I've done all those. What else? And so the scripture says, especially in Mark, it says this, Mark 10. 
that Jesus looked at him with compassion and love. And Jesus was after his heart. So he looked at him and he said, I want you to go and sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. And the scripture says that his heart, that his countenance changed and he became sad. And see, Jesus was wanting to encounter him. He wanted to make an exchange with this kid. He wanted to take from him uh, the, the, the smallness of his identity and the smallness of the vision for his life and enlarge it. That he wanted to take... To, to exchange his earthly riches for heavenly riches. He wanted to take his life of independence and give him a life of dependence. Take him from being someone who was in control to a follower, someone who had servants to becoming a servant. He wanted to give him something higher and greater, but he missed his moment of exchange. He missed his moment to take the lesser and refuse it, and choose the greater. See that word choose in the book of Hebrews? It means that the opportunity is out there, but I have to choose it. Oftentimes the opportunity is out there, but because our eyes can be set on lesser things, we miss the opportunities that the Lord is giving us to make those exchanges in our lives, make those moments of exchange. So when we talk about this great exchange that the Lord wants to make with us, we ask the question, how does he do that? How does the Lord make that exchange where I give him the weakness that I have? Even my strength is weakness to the Lord. I give him what I have and I get what he has. I give him my pain and I get his healing. I give him my confusion and I get his wisdom and insight. I give him my hurt and, the, and the, 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 the failure of my life and I get his success and I get his victory in life. I give him the challenge and I get his victorious uh, life instead. How do I make those exchanges? And Isaiah tells the children of Israel in Isaiah 40 verse 31 that yet those who wait for the Lord, those who wait for the Lord, there's something that happens in the waiting and it's where the, that's where the exchange happens. And see, when we talk about waiting, we all know about waiting, waiting in traffic on 278. See, we all have had that experience. Amen. We're waiting at the doctor's office. We're waiting for a table at a restaurant during season. And then, you know, we transfer that understanding of waiting over to uh, our spiritual life. And we're waiting on God to answer our prayer, much like we're waiting for the doctor to show up for our appointment. But the biblical word for waiting is not like waiting like we're sitting in traffic or waiting at the doctor. But their word for waiting on the Lord actually means to wait with great expectation, to look forward with anticipation. And the word actually means to bind and to twist. So it's not a passive, yeah, you know, just kind of waiting. I'm waiting for the light to change while I'm on 278 or I'm sitting at the doctor, you know, flipping through Facebook on my phone, just waiting 
the biblical word for waiting is a very active word. It's a very engaged word. It's, it's a word that where there's high anticipation, where there's a focus and where there's a leaning in and where there's actually a twisting, joining together with God while I'm waiting on him, I'm interacting with him. And the, 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 one of the things the Lord spoke to me is in every situation that I face, every challenging relationship, every situation at work, every, every bill that needs to get paid, in all of those things, I, I look at those situations and I pray about those and I'm waiting for God to do something in my circumstance. I'm waiting, God, pay that bill. Send me the money to pay that bill. Fix that person in the relationship. God, change my spouse. Would you please change my spouse? Fix my kids, Lord. Would you please fix my kids? Would you change my boss? I mean, just change my circumstance. And so we're looking at all the variables out there that need to change. But see, we're forgetting one other variable. And that's me. And that's you. See, you are a variable in every circumstance you face. I am a variable in every circumstance that I face. So when we talk about waiting on the Lord, God is a very active time. And I, I love this idea that we need to go into weight training. See, it's not W-E-I-G-H-T. It's W-A-I-T. We need to go into weight training because we live in a culture that doesn't encourage waiting. We've lost the art of waiting on the Lord and this powerful exchange that is available to each one of us is available as we wait on the Lord as I interact with God and intertwine my life with him and I engage with him and let him engage with me, in that process, there is an exchange that happens that alters me. It changes me. Amen? See, we want God to change everything else, but not us. Amen? So wait on the Lord. What does waiting on the Lord look like? Well, the word, you know, in in the when you look the word up in the Hebrew, it actually does mean to lean in. And so, it gives me this picture of, you know, I'm 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 friends with these four people right here, and they might be sitting and having a conversation. And as I walk by, I hear Rhonda say something, and I think, ooh, I need to hear that. And so what I do is I stop walking and I change my posture and I lean in. Because I want to hear. Because this woman I know has got some great things to say. And that's what it means to wait on the Lord. It means to stop. It means to change your posture. And it means to lean in. So I lean in to Rhonda expecting to hear something awesome, anticipating she's got something for me. And so I do the very same thing with the Lord. I lean in, I stop, change my posture, and I lean in to hear what he's got to say. See, 
It's, it, it includes times of solitude. Mark 6, I mean, Matthew 6, 6, it says this, that when you pray, you go into your closet, and what do you do? You shut the door. You shut the door. Why do you shut the door? Because there are so many distractions. And see, I can, I can engage with God on the fly. I do. I know in my car while I'm in 278 waiting in traffic, I've got something and I, my iPod's playing something in the car. I am trying to use all the time I can to get as much of God in my mind as I can. But there are moments when we must go into our closets and shut the door. That I must learn how to have moments of solitude to shut out the distractions of life. So when I pray, I go into my closet and I shut the door. Well, see, then I'm challenged with the activity that goes on in my mind. I don't know if you struggle like that. I do. You shut the door. And your mind is just thinking, thinking, thinking. That's the training of waiting. So I heard Graham Cook say this one time. This was so helpful because it made me feel very normal. You know, I think everyone who's spiritual just really has it all together and has it all down. You know, well, Graham Cook said this. He said that when your mind wanders, when you're trying to focus it on the Lord, wander after it and just bring it back. Don't get under condemnation. Don't feel like you're, you're uh, you know, a failure in a devotional life. Well, just wander after it and bring it back. And if it wanders again, just wander after it again and bring it back. And the more you do that, the better your mind will get at not wandering. See, I love what Peter said. He said to practice godliness. Practice godliness. So when you close your door and you first sit down and you're developing this life of solitude before the Lord, it feels awkward and your mind is wandering. But I'm telling you something, if you'll go into weight training, honey, you will come out of that room changed and transformed. And see, I am so hungry to see the new wine. I, I want to be a new wineskin. I want to be used of God in the days ahead. I don't want to, to just lean into what I already know. I'm, I'm hungry for more. And, and, and because I have that hunger and that desire, I am going into weight training because I don't want to miss the season the Lord is bringing us into. I don't want to just know what God is doing. I want to have my heart prepared to do it how he wants it done. I want to have my heart prepared to serve. I want to be prepared like Ruth to take my strength and get up under somebody else and push them forward. I want to be humble. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I want to be empowered to move and to live and have my being in God in the days ahead. I don't want to be like Moses at the end of my life 
disqualified to enter in because of the hardness of my heart. See, I can be sitting in the middle of revival and my heart can be hard and I'll miss it. See, I don't want to be sitting in the middle of a move of God because I believe God is going to move. I don't want to be sitting in the middle of a move of God and miss it. I want to be sitting there ushering in the move of God because my heart has been exchanged for the weakness of my paradigms, the weakness of what I think, my opinions, my selfish ambition. I want God to put all that stuff I want to exchange it. I want to exchange my ambition for his purpose. I want to exchange my pride for his humility. I want to exchange my independence for a servant's heart that I can get up under what God is doing in this hour. So I'm in weight training. So when I go into my closet, I shut the door. When my my mind wanders, I go after it. And I bring it back because I'm determined. I'm going to have an encounter with the Lord. And I'm going to make an exchange. He's going to take this 62-year-old crusty heart and he's going to make it into something he can do something awesome with in the days ahead. Amen? Amen? The power of the word and worship. Times in the word and worship is how we wait on the Lord. It also includes coming to our corporate gathering. See, there are things God will do in our corporate gathering. He'll work with us as a corporate people. See, the children of Israel missed their moment of exchange. They, let, they died in the wilderness. They never exchanged their mindsets of being slaves for sonship. God wanted to make them all a kingdom of priests. They didn't exchange their save, slavery for priesthood. They didn't exchange their slavery mindset for a mindset of being a warrior. They died in the wilderness. I don't want to miss my moments and seasons of exchange. I don't want to die in the wilderness. So our corporate gatherings, God will move in these meetings, in our times together through the messages Caleb brings, through the worship. I love in our, in our um, assimilation, our first step is to experience and know God through our corporate gatherings. We are anticipating visitations from the Lord. We are anticipating encounters with God. And I'm going to tell you something. There is no entertainment or vacation experience that will ever outdo an encounter with the Lord. So I'm going to make sure I'm in here. As often as I can be here, I'm going to be in here with a heart expectant, full of anticipation for an encounter with the Lord because I want to make that exchange so my heart's ready in the days ahead. It includes time of fellowship with other believers. I love the second point of our assimilation process, that we find freedom in community, that some of the exchange that God has for me is found in my brothers and my sisters. Sometimes I need to hear the grace that comes through you. I need to hear it. I cannot forsake the fellowship together and think I'm going to be in, 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 in keeping myself in a position to make those great exchanges. That I make the choice to refuse and to choose. Amen. So waiting on the Lord enlarges me and it enlarges you. It causes me to see higher. 
dream bigger. So I live a life serving a higher purpose than my own agenda. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna say that again. See, it causes me to see higher and dream bigger. So I live a life serving a higher purpose than my own agenda. He deals with my small thinking and my unbelief in those exchanges. He deals with the pain of my past experiences. He takes my weakness and he gives me his strength. And the promise in that passage of scripture in conclusion, the promise in that passage of scripture is this, that those who wait, go into wait training and they make the exchange. This is the promise that you'll mount up, that you'll mount up. Like an eagle mounts up in the sky. That you'll run and you won't get tired. See, I've done a lot of running and I've gotten tired and I've gotten burned out. And that I'll walk and not become weary. And I love the example that is used in this passage of scripture. He says, talks about, though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will have a different experience. He uses that example because our use is when we're in the prime of our natural strength. So even my natural strength, natural strength alone is not enough. God alone is the dispenser of power. That I must exchange my strength for his power. My perceptions for his wisdom, his knowledge. His ways for my ways. His thoughts for my thoughts. I must see beyond myself so that I can be enlarged for his purpose. And you know, I believe God works with us as a corporate body and and that we're on a journey together as a corporate body. God wants to not just enlarge me personally, but he wants to enlarge us corporately. And I believe that corporate enlargement happens as each one of us say yes to God. As each one of us say, God, I'm choosing today to let you deal with my heart. And as each one of us make that decision and I become what I need to become in heart for what God wants to do in the days ahead. Each one of us make that decision. We become a corporate body prepared and ready for the move of God. Thank you for listening to this Sunday sermon. Subscribe to our podcast for new messages weekly. Visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources. We hope you have a blessed week.